Welcome, everybody, to episode two of the Juhu Roadshow podcast, On Ramp. On Ramp, of course, is a supplemental uh, podcast that goes along with my primary podcast, the Juhu Roadshow, uh, which you can find exclusively on Patreon. That's uh, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash Juhu. Um, and uh, in episode one, we, we left off with the winner of 81, uh, which was kind of the uh, catalyst, um, to, uh, a rough road, a rough road in the, in the hunt family. And, and it definitely changed the direction my life was going. So, um, I'll walk you through what four major events that happened in about a three year period that really, um, sent everyone in the family going in a different direction. Um, which, uh, actually, uh, I mean, it led to a period, believe it or not, a period of, uh, 27 years, um, between the four, uh, of us siblings being in the same place at the same time. And it was the last time that, uh, all six of us, uh, my mom and dad and the four siblings were ever in the same place at the same time. So, in the in the winter of '81, as, as I was telling you, in the winter time is when my dad would break colts um, and get them ready to race the next year. Um, and I think by this time he was kind of getting tired of of cutting weight and being a jockey and everything. But um, in the winter of '81, he was breaking a, a colt in the field next to our home in Boone, Colorado. And uh, I don't know how much you know about saddles, but a, a an English saddle obviously is, you know, what jumpers and things like that, what they use. And you can see that kind of, I don't know, how good butterfly looking layout of that saddle. And um, that's basically what a jock saddle is, a jockey saddle, but it's much, much smaller. But then there's a Western saddle. And a Western saddle is what uh, cowboys use, you know, the, 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 the big the big seat and the, and the, you know, the, the saddle horn, the big saddle horn in the middle that you can, that you can hold on to, or that you dally your rope around when you, when you rope a cow or, or whatever it is. Um, that's the saddle horn. And so, uh, dad was riding this colt out in the field next to our house in Boone and this, you know, colts are young and they're spooky and they're, they're easily, you know, kind of distracted or they're scared or, whatever, but this, uh, this horse flipped over with my dad on it, and my dad landed on his back and tried to get out of the way before the horse landed on him, but he couldn't, and the saddle horn, that really hard piece of, uh, of, it's actually fiberglass more times than not, covered in leather and everything, but it's got a, a metal frame covered in fiberglass and then metal. That saddle horn um, landed on my dad's shin, and it just destroyed, destroyed his leg from the knee down. And so I think what the doctor said was that from the knee to the ankle, there wasn't a piece of bone bigger than a thumbnail. Uh, and so that kind of did in my dad as far as being a jockey, uh, obviously at that time. But it it actually was the end of his career as a jockey in general. Um, like I said, I think he was just tired of... Tired of cutting weight and tired of all the, you know, it's just hard. It was a hard gig and it was dangerous and, and, you know, he, he, oh man, he'd been hurt. I think now he's got like, 
He's, I think he just went over 40 pieces of metal in his body because he just had surgery again a couple a couple weeks ago for a broken foot, breaking a colt. But uh, he was just done. I think I think that that was you know kind of a sign to him that it was time to quit. Um, and it's interesting because I remember, I mean, I was five at the time, and I remember looking out the window of our home in Boone and seeing my dad laying on the ground out there. So I, I can actually remember when that happened. Um, which is kind of odd. I mean, I was five years old, but uh, I remember him laying on the ground. And, uh, of course I remember, um, him coming back from the hospital and he was laid up on the couch for quite a while with that, with that thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that whole leg break thing was a big part of, of my memories because a lot of things happened as a result of that. Um, but, uh, Oh, and let me pre <laughs> let me preempt these these podcasts with something. You know, I, I played football. I played football in high school. Played football in college, and and uh, played a lot of sports. And I've had four concussions over my lifetime, and so I forget a lot of shit. But also, like I'll say something and it triggers a memory, and so I, I feel like I need to say it before I forget it again. So if I throw if I throw something in there, uh, sorry, I can't help it. It's the only way that I'm gonna get it out to you. But anyways, um, we'll get back on on the whole period of, you know, when dad's leg was broken later. But I want to kind of put in in succession for you um, the events that happened over about a four or about a three year period. So dad broke his leg and that was kind of the end of the whole jockey thing. Well, not long after that uh, is when my parents split up. My mom decided, um, well, I'm not sure who decided. I shouldn't say it was my mom. I don't know who decided. I think it was my mom. But they decided to go different directions, uh, and they got divorced right around that same time, not long after that. Um, and so, you know, mom left, and uh, that, that's when it got really weird for me because, you know, we were already nomadic, and now we're nomadic in two parts. So I I traveled a lot when I was a kid, and I'll, I'll explain that later. Um, and then um, about a year after that, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on the times, but I know it was all within a three-year period. About a year after that, my sister Kelly um, got into a, a car accident um, in Holly, I think it was, in Holly, Colorado, and that accident ended up killing two of her friends, um, which was very hard on Kelly. Uh, and then not long after that, I think maybe within a year after that, my brother at that time, my brother Lonnie was 15 and my dad, he wanted to be a jockey so bad. He wanted to be like my dad so bad. Um, my dad let him go ride in a, it's called a bush meet in Garden City, Kansas. Now a bush meet, um, it, you have to be 16 to have a license to, a, 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 a license to be a jockey, a jockey license. Like to be legal to ride in what's called paramutual racing, which is sanctioned legal gambling racing you know, like Churchill Downs and, you know, those kinds of places. You have to be 16 to have a license. So they oftentimes have these things called bush meets where it's not regulated. There's no rules. There's, you know, you can be 12 and ride in a bush meet if you want or 10. Um, and it's just, you know, a bunch of people get together with their horses and they have races and they put some money in the pot, the Calcutta, and they make bets and things like that. And it's, you know, it's just not sanctioned and sometimes not safe. So uh, about a year after Kelly's accident, or around that time, um, my brother went to Garden City, Kansas, 
because uh, my dad let him go ride in a bush meet out there because, you know, he's trying to give him a chance to ride and get some experience. And uh, my brother uh, was on, um, I don't remember the name of the horse, um, but uh, he crossed the finish line after a race and the horse uh, went down. Basically, the horse tried to the horse tried to jump something that he's not supposed to jump because he got scared and um, it threw my brother and my brother hit a the a railroad tie that they were using as a rail. Uh, he hit the railroad tie head on, going however fast he was going, and that put him in a coma for like I think seven days, seven or eight days, and so I remember him coming back and in like. You know, your 15-year-old brother and he can't really speak. He can't eat right. You know, I mean, it, and it was just a bad deal. Scary to, to me as a little guy. Um, and, of course, he's fine now. He grew up and, you know, completely normal as far as, you know, as as normal as a hunt can be. I mean, we're all a bit off-center. But <laughs> but uh, he, um, he, he got hurt pretty bad. And so, like, it was just like this real bad stretch of, of things that happened. Uh, over about a three-year period, and that really just kind of disintegrated the whole GHL thing. Um, now, Dad, my dad stayed in horse racing. He became a trainer, um, and um, trainers, you know, they're the ones that train horses. Pretty self-explanatory. Uh, and he did really well, but for a long time, he had to he had to wear this this boot and walk around with this boot, and then that eventually graduated to uh, a brace. Um, and you know he's fine now, but it, it took a while. It took like three years before he got back to normal with that leg. And he was on crutches for a long time, which brings to mind a story. And this is this is yeah, this is the environment I grew up in. You have to imagine this. Um, I don't know where it was. I couldn't tell you the town, but I know that. Uh, and I you know I shouldn't even speak with such authority on why. I just know that there was a there was a guy. At the races, and I'm trying to remember this. My, I'm literally my eyes are closed. I'm trying to remember this as I'm telling it, but I, I remember the the end result. That's what matters in this story is the end result. I don't know if this guy was talking shit about my dad, or if he had been talking to my mom, or or what. But I remember my dad hobbling up to this guy. I don't even know if they had words or, or what, but the next thing I knew. Now, this was back when crutches were made of wood and they had like, you know, wing nuts that held everything together and they were just hard. Um, my dad smacks this dude upside the head with his crutch, just completely destroyed his crutch. But I mean, that dude dropped like a sack of potatoes, man, right there. And then my dad hobbled off and we left and that was the end of that. But that's <laughs> that's the kind of shit that I saw when I was... As a kid, I it's, you know, it was it was a glorious, fabulous, beautiful place to grow up, but it was rough. Oh goodness gracious, there was, I saw things that no kid should see, man. But it was, I don't know, makes you who you are. I mean, there are people that had it worse, um, but uh, it was a very interesting lifestyle. Now, how that plays into who I am now is is quite fascinating because I've just got so many different kinds of life experiences at an early age, and I moved everywhere. I lived all kinds of places. And so, uh, you know, I'm kind of grateful for that. I, you know, didn't necessarily have the normality and the stability of a neighborhood kid. In fact, I can say uh, until, man, 
until I was in my 20s. I mean, early 20s. Well, unless you count college, but I, I didn't, I never lived in a neighborhood, ever. I was always out in the country. Like, when I, even when I was in high school and I would, you know, give directions to my friends, I'd be like, okay, you turn off the paved road, you go past Murph's Quick Lube, and you take a right on the dirt road. That's the kind, I mean, no matter where I was, and whether I was with my mom or my dad, it was out in the country. Always out in the country. So, you know, I didn't get that whole, you know, stable neighborhood experience, you know, like like my son and I have been watching Stranger Things, that that TV show and and you know those kids are so tight, you know, the 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 cl- the little um what do they call it, the team, I think. Um uh, but I mean they're so tight and they've they've grown up together and they ride their bikes around the neighborhood. That looks so cool. I would do that now. If you could do that in your 40s, ride around the neighborhood with your buddies, I would do it just cuz I never got to. Um but there were there were benefits. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was, so that was kind of a, a, just a complete changing of the situation for everybody in the Hunt family and, and, and myself included. And so what happened then is, you know, my mom went to Rio Dosa, New Mexico, and my dad was still doing the Colorado fair circuit thing. Cause it was still going. He was just, he was a trainer now. He wasn't, he wasn't a jockey. Um, but I, you know, would go back and forth between them. Uh, and you know, they didn't really have, I don't think a, um, schedule established. Things were a little different then. Um, ironically, that was right after or right around the time of that Kramer versus Kramer movie, which really kind of shined a a new light and a different perspective on the whole divorce co-parenting thing. And it's also ironic that the kid's name was Justin. Anyways, um, I mean, I moved around a lot. I went to five schools in first grade. Five schools in first grade. Uh, an, <laughs> an interesting story. I was, uh, it was my first day of school. I went to I went to school, and uh, I can still actually remember this. I went to school the first day, so I'm uh, wake up the next day. My dad wakes me up, and I, I, it's so funny the things you remember. Like I, I still remember the sound of the trailer door opening, and the, you know, it's got these two um, metal steps that unfold and come down, you know, um, so you can step up into the trailer, <coughs> excuse me, and uh, I can still remember the sound of, you know, my dad's boots, dunk, dunk, coming up those steps, um, and opening the door, and the light's coming in, and I'm laying in the bed up there, and uh, uh, my dad says, hey, get up, it's time to go to school, and I thought, no, man, you you don't get it, I, <laughs> I told him, I said, no, I'm done, I, I went yesterday, and I thought that, I thought that was it. I thought, okay, it kind of sucked, but I made it. I made it through school because I thought school was one day. You went to school for one day and you're done. So I was ready to go back to playing and go to the barn and all that. And nope, little did I know, little did I know what was ahead. So yeah, but I was like, no, I'm good. I went yesterday. <laughs> I remember him laughing and and uh, put me on the bus I'm like you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but um. So that really that that started uh, my life as a as a kid between two parents, and um, you know I think once nomad, you know once that gypsy gets in your blood a little bit, it stays there for quite a while because oh my gosh, my parents moved around oh a lot. My dad settled down a little earlier than my mom did, but uh, um, with my mom, let's see, I lived in I lived in 
Canyon Tio, Texas, which is between El Paso and Las Cruces. I lived in Lafayette, Louisiana. I lived in Ocala, Florida. A um, little bit of time in California, a little bit of time in Mississippi, a little bit of time here, a little bit of time there, um, Colorado. Um, but my dad, my dad did the fair circuit thing till about 1984. And then that's when he went to Farmington, New Mexico, um, which he had ridden at in the sixties. Um, but, uh, he met this, um, really fantastic woman named Burdette. Um, it was Goza at the time, Burdette Goza that, that eventually became Burdette Hunt, um, which is now Burdette Marquis, which we'll get into that whole story down the road, but uh, Burdette came into my life around 83, I think, is when they got married, and uh, my, my life is definitely different because of Burdette. My life is better because of Burdette, and I had much more opportunities because of what Burdette brought to the situation, and again, we'll talk more about that later, but Dad got married in 83 to Burdette, and then we went to Farmington in 1984, and that's where he settled down, is in, in Farmington in 84, um, and he's still there today. Well, Bloomfield, actually, which is where I went to high school and graduated from. It's outside of Farmington, New Mexico. But my mom just moved around all over the place, all over the place. Um, now, as far as my siblings are concerned, I mean, they all they all took off after after mom and dad split. Um, you know, uh, Devlin. Well, I can't. I have a hard time calling him that because we all I grew up with him. Named you know everybody called him Scooter. Freaking hates that now, but that's I just can't. His name is Scooter, but we're supposed to call him Devlin. Um, he went his own way and ended up working on a ranch in Texas, and then uh, yeah, and then Kelly, Kelly went and did her thing and was around the racetrack for a little bit, and then she got in some trouble. We'll talk about that later as well. We've got a lot of building up to do here. Uh, Lonnie hung around and and tried to you know um, do the jockey thing for a while, even after he got hurt. Um, but unfortunately for him, he just got too big. You have to be quite little to be a jockey and he just got big. And it's kind of a, kind of a travesty, man. I always felt bad for that guy because that is literally all he ever wanted to do was be a jockey and he just got too big and it's just sad. But, uh, you know, he stuck around, graduated high school and, and then went into the military. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, uh, as for me, um, I just moved around and went back and forth, back and forth, and then uh, I think they finally kind of got a schedule set. Um, oh, and then 1983 also, my mom met um, a gentleman by the name of Joey Butte. That's his name, B-O-U-T-T-E. He's a, he's a coon-ass from, from Louisiana, Joey Butte. And uh, he, they got married. So my mom and dad kind of got remarried around uh, about a year apart, I guess. It was interesting, too, because my, my folks were exactly the same age, both born in 44, and then my step-parents, um, you know, Burdette with my dad and Joey with my mom were both born in 57. They are both 13 years younger than my parents, them cradle robbers. Um, and so that's, you know, things started kind of settling down at that point, and, and there was some normality starting to come into my life, and, and uh and so that's that's where the schedule started getting a little more normal. And I would go back and forth between my parents um, every three months until I got to eighth grade. Um, and then it was every six months. Now, let me tell you, 
I, I had some fascinating experiences during those times because, and, it, and I think it helped shape who I am and got me into journalism and filmmaking to a degree, or at least it helped with the filmmaking and the journalism because I was scared to death of people. Um, and number one, it's bad enough to be a kid and be scared of people. Um, not scared of people, but just scared of new people. How about that? Because the people that were around, I, I mean, I loved them and, and I enjoyed being with them. Um, you know, that we had family and friends and stuff that were around and would take me to do things. And, and uh, um, that was cool. But new people, uh, you know, freaked me out. But uh, there's nothing, you know, it's scary enough to be afraid of new people, but it's terrifying to go to a new school on the first day. And good gosh, I I had to go to school. I was I had so many first days at a new school. It just sucked ass. It I it was horrible. Um because you know, like you always try to figure out you always try to figure out some way to, to be sick or something to push it just one more day so you didn't have to go and be the new kid. Um but uh I eventually got to where um I figured out ways to make friends on the first day, and then, you know, as soon as you start making friends, it settles down a little bit. I had this little trick that I would pull um, to make friends. Um, so <laughs> I haven't thought about this for a long time, but uh, I could, like, like wiggle my... I'm trying to do it right now. I feel like a retard. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I could wiggle my scalp forward and backwards. It almost looked like my ears were wiggling, but my scalp was actually moving. My hair was moving back and forward. And of course, you know, seven and eight-year-olds are like, whoa, that's awesome. And you know, then I, then I had buddies, boom, just like that. Wiggle your scalp, you got buddies. If only it was that easy now. But uh, so that's how I, you know, started making new friends in Texas and Louisiana and Florida and all kinds of shit, you know, just, um, and I, I, I have I met a lot of people over the years, tons and tons and tons of people, and uh, I think I think you know dealing with with other human beings. Okay, some people are some people are natural at it; they're gregarious and they you know they're great at it. And some people not so much. But I think that it's just like so many other things in life. You have to you just have to have a certain amount of experience doing it, and then you're fine, and you get better and better over time. Now. I come from a family where, you know, public speaking and things like that was just, it was, it was scary. And then you consider the fact that, you know, I was on television for almost 10 years. I've done radio. I've done movies. I, I, I get paid to speak publicly now. Like people, people pay me to fly somewhere and screen a film and then speak. Um, you know, it's just funny, um, how far I've come from that. But I think a lot of that a lot of that foundation came from having to move around so much and meet new people and figure out ways to communicate with people and figure out ways to connect with people and also deal with the fear of being in front of people and deal with the fear of talking to people. And I think a lot of the moving that I had to do uh, helped with that. I didn't realize it at the time, clearly. Um, but I think when it got to a point where, you know, I'm 18 years old and they're like, hey, do you want to be, uh, you know, I was an intern at an NBC station and things just happened a certain way. And they're like, Hey, we need a weekend news anchor. I was 18 years old. They're like, are you, can you do it? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll try that. And I think had I not had all those experiences of having to go to new places and talk to people, I probably wouldn't have had the confidence to do that. The confidence built over time. Um, I mean, it took a while, 
but um, you know, it just I think that it did help. I think it helped in the long run to to have those kinds of experiences. But um, I don't know. It just in, in in retrospect, I don't know if I would change it or not. I really don't, because I you know I just like I said I just I I lived in so many places with my mom. I mean. My goodness, we lived in we lived in San Antonio, we lived in Houston, we lived in Canutillo, we lived in uh well, I'm trying to think of where else we lived. But, you know, all these people in all these places, they just added so much to my personal experience that I think it's kind of like Slumdog Millionaire in a weird way, <clears throat> if you've ever seen that. You know, every time a question comes up, in that game show, that kid can remember some kind of ex- experience that helps him answer that. And I, I I have a lot of that, too. And a lot of that comes in my writing. Uh, I was I was um, just hired to write some episodic television um, uh, scripts uh, for for a crime drama. And I mean, it's funny as I'm writing, I can I can you know, I'm trying to write a particular situation or a scenario and I can actually recall certain things from my life that that you know, whether it's an experience I had on the racetrack or somewhere else that I can plug into that with some, with some authenticity, which no offense, but I think a lot of other writers that, you know, like Hollywood writers, you know, they're, they're kids of rich parents that have never really had those kinds of experiences. They, they don't know what it's like to punch someone in the face or to get punched in the face or to, um, you know, smell horse shit or to, you know, um, I mean, you name it, you know, load a truck for full of stuff in a horse trailer and move or whatever it is. Um, and so I, you know, I'm grateful for, for some of those experiences. Um, I could have done without some of them, but, um, but, uh, I'm glad that I had most of them. So, uh, and again, you know, there's a lot of this in the speed of orange. Uh, it's a documentary that I did, uh, 2012, 2013 ish, um, that kind of tells the story of GHL and, um, the, uh, you know, there's a whole horse racing aspect of it, but then kind of exposing the underbelly of, of GHL and the Hunt family, um, is part of that story. And then also is this race against time in the speed of orange. My, my mom got cancer, um, oh, I think in 2009 or 10, um, I think 2010, and uh, that kind of caught up with her in 2012 after two years of denial um, and trying to beat it by living healthy and, and thinking thinking healthy. But uh, the movie is an interesting race against time because I'm trying to finish the movie before my mom passes away. Um, and then, you know, our family had drifted so far apart that, um, you know, her sickness had an, a unique effect on the family as well. So I would definitely encourage you to watch The Speed of Orange if you kind of want to see more uh, into the stories that I'm telling you now and you kind of want to see who these people are. Um, but uh, unfortunately, we're out of time almost. Well, we got a couple of minutes left. We're almost out of time on episode two. But So I'll tell you what, when we come back in episode three, uh, you know, I'll kind of wrap up this whole youth thing because I'm not sure if it's interesting to you or not. But uh, I want to wrap up and kind of give you an um, uh, a uh, kind of catch you up on on where uh, Lonnie and Scooter and Kelly are, um, and uh, fill you in on 
the paths of their lives. Uh, and then we'll move on to, you know, kind of what got me here to where I am today. But I want to tell you about those things when we come back um, in the next episode of the Juhu Roadshow podcast on-ramp. This is the on-ramp podcast. But I do want to remind you of our primary podcast, which is the Juhu, the Juhu Roadshow. Um, you can find it exclusively on Patreon. Um, it's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com forward slash J-U-H-U. Um, and that's a subscription-based podcast. It's $5 a month, and you get to listen to every podcast that we do. And we talk to some really fascinating people from athletes to comedians to NASCAR pit chiefs to uh, artists, unbelievable artists, um, homicide detectives, um, musicians. I mean, and and then just, you know, normal, interesting people. And then my son and I will do a show every now and then. Um, it's just, it's such a fun thing. And, but that's the interview. That's the interview podcast, the guest podcast, the, you know, um, this on-ramp is, is more to kind of introduce me to you to, so you understand who the hell is even doing this podcast and why you should be interested in listening to it. So, um, I'd love to, to invite you to go check that out. We do put some free samples on there. If you want to listen, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash Juhu. We'd love for you to be a subscriber and come join us. But uh, that's going to do it for episode two of the Juhu Roadshow podcast on ramp. Uh, we'll be back with episode three and and uh, uh, we'll uh, catch you up to speed on Lonnie Kelly and Scooter and, and uh, share some more stories. So I appreciate everybody for listening. And uh, yeah, you guys have a wonderful day. <laughs> <laughs>